This special edition podcast is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and helps to transform the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. The past year has been a time of unprecedented challenges to equal justice with advocates confronting a dizzying array of novel legal and operational issues in order to continue to represent people in very distressed conditions. For example, how do you provide self-help to individuals who are too sick to help themselves? Welcome to PBI's podcast, The Challenge of COVID-19, Legal Community in Action. I'm your host, Nihad Mansour, Assistant Director of the law firm Pro Bono Project. Today, I'm speaking with Joanne Wallace, President and CEO of NLADA, the National Legal Aid and Defender Association. NLADA is a national organization whose resources are dedicated exclusively to advancing civil and criminal justice for low-income people. Since the start of the pandemic, NLADA has been an advocate and resource for civil legal aid, public defenders, and client community advocates in their effort to continue to provide legal services for those who cannot afford counsel. First, Nihad, let me say thank you for the opportunity to talk about some of NLADA's work during this extraordinary year. I really appreciate it. Before I just dive in there, I'd like to give a little context. In the past year, we've seen an explosion in the numbers of people, right, who qualify or need access to legal assistance and who can't afford to pay for it. You know, we've seen unemployment rates that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. We have estimates of individuals and families who are vulnerable to be evicted from their homes, ranging from 16 to 30 million households. The Legal Services Corporation estimates a cost of $2.5 billion to meet the legal needs of individuals at risk of eviction. A very recent report confirms what uh, legal aid advocates have been saying they've been seeing, which is an increase in domestic violence as people shelter in place. In some categories of cases handled by civil legal aid, such as employment benefits, we've seen increases in numbers ranging up anywhere from 35 to 7,000% increase in the number of people and cases who need legal assistance. In the criminal justice system, jails and prisons are among the most significant coronavirus hotspots in the country, with some of the largest outbreaks linked to correctional facilities in the United States. And despite a backlog of cases, under-resourced public defenders have been working every day to contain the spread of the virus by securing the release of individuals who don't need to be detained, often going into jails and prisons without personal protective equipment. And they're pushing correctional facilities to provide adequate conditions in response to the pandemic to prevent short sentences from turning into life sentences or for at-risk individuals who are at risk. So, you know, I was attending a meeting of the ABA's pandemic task force a few months ago, and I found myself really on the verge of tears. I was listening to the story of a young woman whose family was evicted from their home. She had lost her job due to the pandemic and had fallen behind on the rent. 
And because her income, when she was employed, she wasn't qualified for legal assistance from legal aid. So she was able, though, to get a self-help packet and instructions for requesting a temporary restraining order. But as she struggled with the effects of COVID, she became too sick to file the paperwork. She and her children lost their home and their belongings and were put out on the street. So the bottom line, it has, during this time, NLADA's efforts this past year have been focused largely on helping, you know, legal aid and public defense leaders and advocate, navigate this uncharted terrain, while also seizing opportunities to steer a course toward more equitable justice systems. We've been also working with private bar and business allies and others to make the case for federal funding to help programs obtain the resources they need as we respond to an explosion of new income-eligible clients and mounting legal needs in the backlog of cases that I referenced. Recently, NLADA has been working to help civil legal aid and defenders move back to in-person services as they're facing the challenges of providing effective remote representation. Since the start of the pandemic, legal aid and public defense advocates have had to grapple every day with the tension between their ethical commitment to represent clients zealously and their legal and moral obligations to protect the health and safety of staff, colleagues, and family um, as well as their clients. To put it in context, the NLADA community of advocates represents clients with limited resources, many of whom have special needs, and whose issues often require in-person support, either to interact effectively with their clients because they may not have access to remote equipment to be able to access virtual proceedings, or because their issues impact basic human needs and require immediate court intervention. Advocates who, whether it's legal aid, public defense, or private pro bono advocates who are representing clients in these circumstances often don't have the luxury of working completely remotely even during this time of the pandemic. At the start of the pandemic, uh, public defenders were probably most acutely a challenge because even during the initial shutdown, uh, most courts continued to do some types of criminal proceedings where individual liberty was at stake. But it has really varied from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Generally, have, courts have been slower to open up on the civil side. But once that has started happening, as it has now, you know, legal aid and public defense advocates are, are facing similar challenges. Do you send staff into jails and prisons that are COVID hotspots so they can communicate effectively with the individuals they represent? Or do you agree to a remote proceeding where even though it means your client may not be able to actually participate in the proceeding. And if you're on the civil side, for example, do you send staff into nursing homes and homeless shelters during the pandemic? As programs work on figuring out how to reach clients and conduct business safely, still they have growing and mounting case backlogs. 
So early in the pandemic, we launched a COVID-19 resource center at NLADA, the point, you know, to share critical data and science and other information that would be specially curated to help legal aid and public defense programs address the extensive legal and organizational impacts of the pandemic. Even though some of the issues change as, as the pandemic evolves, many of the issues are the same. It's really a matter of which jurisdictions are facing these at what time. What we been doing is to provide very specific information to uh, the NLADA community to address all of the novel operational and legal issues that they're facing. So as one example, we worked in partnership with the Association of Pro Bono Council, APCO, and a fabulous team from Aiken Gum to host a webinar to address specific reopening needs as these issues come up in the equal justice community. That then led to the development of a comprehensive toolkit for addressing the same issues and providing an extraordinary resource that would be available in addition to the webinar video for members of the legal aid and public defense community. It's a really comprehensive, high-quality resource that continues to be to be utilized um, extensively as programs continue to deal with reopening issues. You know, these issues are ongoing. It sort of reminds me a little bit like that old game of whack-a-mole. You know, you deal with one legal issue and then five more take its place. In this instance, of course, now programs are grappling with trying to figure out whether they should be requiring vaccination and what that means. And again, with the unique difference being that for representation in our community, they often have to be in places that are not yet safe to the public. Unemployment issues relating to benefits has been a major legal issue as a result of the pandemic. With many attorneys and individuals seeking guidance on these benefit issues, NLADA partnered with DLA Piper and produced a resource to help. We worked with a terrific team from DLA Piper that did extensive research on unemployment insurance. This is a good example of what I was referring to when you talk about a dizzying array of laws. The laws governing unemployment benefits vary from state to state under ordinary circumstances, number one, and then during the pandemic with the federal stimulus packages, which increased the amounts of benefits available in jurisdictions, but there was real uncertainty and wide variation as states sort of scrambled to figure out how to administer the newly expanded program. So we asked DLA Piper to help us figure out how each state was administering and contributing to the benefit system during the pandemic, as well as what was going on in terms of challenges to benefits. One of the realities about limited resources in the legal aid community is that they have to make choices in terms of priorities and where they put their resources. So often what will happen in the benefits arena is that legal aid programs often do not get involved in helping people apply for benefits initially, but rather will often get involved only if there's a denial of benefits and then will represent clients in the appeal. The 
terrific resource that the DLA Piper team generated really was extraordinarily helpful for legal aid representation of individuals at the initial stage or to be able to advise clients by providing this significant resource all in one place where you could go to, to, to get answers to clients' questions. It is available on the NLADA COVID-19 Resource Center and is publicly available. So not only to advocates and attorneys, but also to individuals themselves who may have questions that they need answers to. With many of the courts adopting remote court systems through the use of technology in hearings, NLADA has been thinking about the ways in which this technology impacts hearings moving forward. Technology presents exciting possibilities, right? But the starting point is that we have to be mindful of not exacerbating the existence of a very real digital divide where not everyone has the same access to technology. The federal FCC estimates that 21 million people in the United States lack access to high-speed internet. But a more recent report, the number is actually double that, that there are 42 million people in the U.S. that lack access to high-speed internet. And when you talk about the digital divide, people are quick to point out the research about the prevalence of cell phones. But then you have to realize that the fact that you have a cell phone doesn't mean that you're able to afford a plan that allows you either in time or the type of information that you're able to access that will allow you to effectively engage in remote proceedings, virtual proceedings, and lengthy proceedings that could take that take place over many days, certainly many hours. NLADA, we're working to make sure that technology is used in ways that actually increase access to justice and increase equity in justice systems. We wanna make sure that technology isn't used in situations that compromise individual rights. This year, through a partnership with the Center for Court Innovation, NLADA set out to learn how extensively courts were relying on virtual proceedings, whether existing information on the use of technology would help practitioners more effectively represent clients, and whether remote proceedings impact the outcomes for clients. And what we found was concerning first, there's very limited information on this, some research, but not a lot. But in the research that is out there, there's a wide variation in terms of how courts are using technology, including what types of cases they're using technology or remote proceedings in, as well as what types of proceedings they're doing virtually. The problems vary depending on the types of proceedings, but one of them that's universal is having confidential access to your clients for communicating with them. So if you are located in a different place than your client, how do you, you know, communicating with them through the attorney-client relationship in a confidential manner that isn't picked up by everyone in the hearing, right, is an example. A whole host of problems associated with any type of evidentiary hearings that are conducted remotely. On the other hand, there are some type of proceedings where it's been extremely beneficial for everyone, you know, like routine status hearings. We've also seen that this virtual decision-making can 
impact the outcome. For example, there's research that shows that child witnesses are perceived to be less credible and less trustworthy when they present their testimony in a virtual proceeding as opposed to in person. There was one study that showed that the average bail amounts that were set in a courtroom in Cook County, in Cook County, Illinois, the amount increased by 51% when proceedings were done virtually versus when a bail was set in in-person proceedings. Again, while we remain excited about the potential of technology level the playing field when it comes to access to justice, I think these findings and these studies tell us we have to be mindful in terms of how we go about this. So we worked with CCI, the Center for Court Innovation, to develop a white paper. And then we've been developing webinars and educational materials to inform and train practitioners to help them advocate more effectively for clients in those remote environments. A second initiative is around technology that we've been working on at NLADA is our partnership with Pew Charitable Trust to evaluate online dispute resolution. The objectives of the partnership was to study how the civil legal aid community understands, uses, and engages with legal technologies and also to determine what should be sort of fundamental and guiding principles for developing and implementing online dispute resolution systems. And what we learned from our research there is that we have to not only ensure that there's equity and access to the sort of hardened software that makes remote technology effective, but that it's very important to incorporate the end user voice into the development and implementation of these systems. So often what we found, unfortunately, that sometimes courts are coming up with their policies and practices without involving the voice of the end customers, the individuals who use the court systems or the individuals who legal aid and public defenders represent. What constitutes user-friendly for one individual or for an attorney or from court's perspective may not at all be what is considered user-friendly by the ultimate consumer. But it's more than that. It's making sure that we're using that we're using technology on top of effective and sound systems and practices, you know, because the technology in many instances is only going to be as good as the system that undergirds it. And so that's another piece of it. It's also making sure, for example, that there are some off-ramps. In other words, if you are using a technological interface, but an individual is not adequately understanding what it is they need to do, that there's an opportunity for that individual to actually have interaction with a live person, things like that. We have a lot of work to do, but I think it's fair to say that we have seen an increasing understanding in the community that we need to use evidence-based approaches to deciding when and how we continue to use technology in the justice system. 2020 also introduced increased focus on racial equity related to the pandemic and the killing of George Floyd and others. 
Civil legal aid, public defenders, client, and community advocates have long been a part of the fight for racial justice. But this past year has brought about an even greater collective desire and urgency among NLADA stakeholders to advance racial equity. The George Floyd video or similar videos that have been really horrific examples of the price that racial inequity exacts from Black and Brown individuals and communities, those videos give a glimpse, I think, into what legal aid and public defense and client and community advocates who are on the front lines every day regularly see and address as they represent clients in their daily work. They're in conversations with individuals who are concerned because their children don't have access to adequate technology in order to be able to do well in virtual classrooms. They see how racial inequities in education and healthcare and the benefit systems or employment, how these play out in individual lives. They see how these inequities lead to disparities in the criminal justice system because the lack of access or unequal access to systems can often mean that it produces conditions that can land someone in the criminal justice system. Public defenders see regularly the disproportionate violence against Black and Brown people in the criminal justice system. So, you know, you said earlier, working to advance racial equity is not new for this community. I mean, long before George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's names were widely known, NLADA released a racial action plan and took the step of urging legal aid and public defense organizations to acknowledge that effective racial justice advocacy begins with looking critically at your own organization, that we have to challenge the status quo and model the way. So we ask programs to sign and commit to specific actions described in NLADA's Fight Against Implicit Bias and Racial Inequality Pledge. That's a mouthful. We call it the FAIR Pledge for short. And we've been disseminating resources and conducting training to meet the growing demand for assistance in promoting anti-racist policies and fostering systemic change. What I think has changed, however, is that there's also a new, stronger, collective, widespread desire and urgency among NLADA stakeholders to leverage this moment of racial reckoning to help make sure that we have more sustained, measurable progress toward policies and practices in systems and institutions that advance racial equity. When we talk about the NLADA community, we're generally focusing on the justice system. But the reality is that the work of legal aid and public defense practitioners, as well as private practitioners engaging in pro bono, intersects with virtually every institution and system that advances opportunity as well as justice. Um, the, the medical field, you know, healthcare, institutions and systems, education, benefits, employment, housing. So if you can imagine this collective impact, if we were all working across all of the various sections and affinity groups and, and stakeholder groups that comprise the NLADA 
community if we are all working in concept around the same strategies and goals. So with that in mind, last fall, the NLADA Board of Directors created the Racial Equity Task Force to move us further in that direction. While NLADA's main policy objective is always to increase access to legal assistance to those who cannot afford counsel, Joanne shared where NLADA is focusing its attention this year on the defenders and civil justice side. You know, the pandemic is confirming what we already know, that access to legal assistance stabilizes families and communities, that it promotes racial equity and reduces unnecessary incarceration. And now we know that it also promotes public health. At NLADA, we have the bold belief that we can reach a point in this country where everyone who needs legal assistance is able to access it. That they, that individuals can be provided the type of legal assistance that they need when they need it. And sometimes that assistance is just basic information. Sometimes it's a form to submit in court. But sometimes you have to have a lawyer. You know, it's a continuum. So in many respects, our basic policy goals, Nihad, are always the same, right? Increasing access to legal assistance for people who otherwise can't afford it. In particular, in this coming year, we're very focused on a number of things, including working to support universal access to counsel in the housing arena. That is one area where research tells us lawyers make a difference. And so we are working with many partners and stakeholders in that arena. You know, I'm sure that uh, we have worked very closely with the business community and wonderful partners like PBI and, and ACC to defend LSE against the threat of elimination and to work to support increases in funding for civil legal aid and the Legal Services Corporation. So this year, we're very focused on support for LSC funding that is much more proportional to the existing legal need. We have begun conversations with Eve and other partners, and we are hopeful that we will again all come together to make that happen and enjoy the same success as we have in the past few years in terms of increasing funding. The same is true on the defender side. It's really, when you think about it, access to counsel in criminal proceedings where liberty at stake is a federal constitutional right. But the amount of federal funding that goes into supporting state and local public defender organizations is really, really low. So we are very focused on increasing access to public defense resources as well. NLADA has worked very closely with the Legal Aid Interagency Roundtable and federal agencies over the past few years to increase other types of federal funding for civil legal aid. It's our belief that civil legal aid should be part of any robust social services network and that 
the federal government goals in terms of supporting opportunity and equity can be maximized when legal aid organizations and leaders and advocates are partners. So we have worked to increase federal funding from other agencies in addition to LSE funding. And as we've done that, we have begun to see more and more that often there are regulatory barriers, sometimes associated with the funding streams, but also that may not be directly connected to funding that need to be changed in order to promote equity more effectively and in order to achieve the goals of opportunity and justice. Let me give you one example that we're looking into right now is that, you know, reports that uh, Black grants, which are often used, you know, to in the housing arena, um, we're hearing reports that when those grants are utilized in primarily white neighborhoods, they're used to help with home ownership. But the way they're being used in black and brown neighborhoods is to enforce code violations, which then in effect result in fines and fees that low-income people can't pay and begins a whole another negative trajectory. So we are in conversations with the new administration about this and many other matters, but we do believe that there are incredible opportunities to look at those regulations and those funding streams to make changes that will promote advanced racial equity. The final thing I would say there is that uh, we, NLADA has been very supportive and has been talking with the administration about the need to reestablish the Access to Justice Office. It was very important a lot of the progress that we made in terms of support for legal aid and civil legal aid and public defense was really led by that office and to have a particular place in the very large and complex bureaucracy of the Justice Department that is tasked with and focused on access to justice on a daily basis, I think is is really very important to continuing to make sustainable progress. In the past year, we've seen the legal community come together with many creative ideas to meet the arising legal needs through pro bono. Firms, corporations, and other organizations interested in supporting NLADA's efforts can continue to help in many ways. This community, there's extraordinary pro bono that is done every day, and even more so, I think, during the pandemic, but there can always be more. You know, I've given you a couple of examples of where we've really made a difference working with extraordinary pro, pro bono partners, and that continues to be important, not only for NLADA, but also at the local level with programs. For the business community, we join our corporate advisory committee. We have a goal 16 policy working group. We hope that this conversation has encouraged individuals to work more on some of the policy matters that we've been talking about, but that at the end of the day, that will promote equity and fairness in our systems. We encourage every 
organization to look internally at their own practices as we're doing at LADA and encouraging the member organizations to do. That is a great starting point for all of us. And But at the end of the day, what I do want to say is that the legal community has been a source of inspiration during this time. You know, there are in the general public jokes about lawyers every day, you know, but it's if they knew how much effort and how much dedication there is in the legal community to advancing racial equity, justice, and fairness, and it would be an inspiration to everyone. That certainly keeps me going. Yeah, it's so inspiring. It is. Um, You know, through the pandemic, there have been so many stories about heroes on the front lines in the healthcare and and other fields, and we applaud them all. Um, I think, though, that there hasn't been as much recognition of the heroes on the front lines of justice, and um, I want to take this moment to applaud all of them. Thank you to Joanne Wallace for her thoughtful remarks and leadership on the COVID-19 pandemic. Check out the NLADA website for more information, resources, and how to get involved. Developments in the coronavirus are moving fast, but the legal community is adapting to move with it. Please watch for more COVID-19 focused episodes as we continue to shine light on the legal sector's response to this evolving crisis. We also hope that if you're not already doing so, you will join with those already taking action. More resources on how to help are available at www.probonoinst.org. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and be well.